Oh, good morning. It is wonderful to have each and every one of you here this morning. We begin our service by singing the doxology, and it is found in your hymnal number 549. number 709. My whole being boasts of the Lord. Let the lowly folk hear and be glad. Lord God Almighty, how great and wonderful are your deeds, King of all nations. How right and true are your ways. Who will not fear you, Lord? Who will refuse to declare your greatness? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteousness deeds are seen by all. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might belong to God forever and ever. Amen. Our first hymn this morning is number 275, Ferris Lord Jesus. Hymn number 275, Ferris Lord Jesus.
Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God, Lord, we come before you just as we are this morning. You know of the needs that we have in our lives, the different things that are affecting our lives right now, the challenges that we have, the things that we are trying to overcome, the things that are physical, the things that are emotional, the things that are spiritual. Lord, we think about the relationships that we have with other people. And Lord, we lift those relationships up to you in prayer. God, we'd ask for where healing needs to take place, that there be healing. Where love needs to be shown, that there be love. When examples of compassion need to be demonstrated, Lord, let, those, let that compassion be demonstrated according to your will, your spirit, and your purpose. Lord, we think of the needs of others. We think of the needs of the patients here, the family members that will be visiting, the staff that is working here today. And God, we'd ask in those circumstances as well as they face the challenges that they have of this day, that you would help them, that there would be healing in their relationships that they have, that they would see the healing, that they perhaps would be demonstrated the love that they need to be shown. Perhaps they themselves would be the demonstrators of the compassion according to your purpose and your will and your spirit. Lord, we are just so thankful that you give us the opportunity to pray and just to tell you of our needs and what's on our heart and what's on our mind. And we are so thankful that you taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for praying with me this morning. Our next hymn is number 111. Number 111. It's in the red hymnal. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's hymn 111. I apologize if I misspoke. <laughs> hymn number 111. Thank you. 
in Christ's name. So how many of you have heard this parable before? All of us have, correct? In terms of this story and what it is supposed to represent. So the question, as the lawyer asked at the end, he said, Who is my neighbor? Define for me, Jesus, who is my neighbor. Give me a legal definition as to who is my neighbor. And I don't know if you have ever been involved with legal documents or regulations, but always at the back of legal documents and of regulations are the definitions of the words that are contained in the document. So the lawyer asked Jesus to define for him who is my neighbor. And instead of giving him a definition, he gives him a story, a parable, so that the lawyer could see the different interactions that take place in terms of what it means to be a neighbor. So for you and I, I need to ask you, and I need to ask myself, what is the definition for a neighbor? Is it a friend? Is it someone close to you? Is it physically your actually like next door neighbor where you live? Who is your neighbor for you and for me? Okay, that's correct. All of our fellow human beings. And so Jesus gives the parable to define a neighbor in a very unique way. He gives the parable about those who saw the suffering and did nothing about it. And then someone who was completely, if you will, totally different in terms of their own religious belief systems did what Jesus wanted him to do and showed that mercy within that parable, within that story. So for us, as we define neighbor, it should be all of our fellow human beings. It should not be defined based on color of the skin, their religious beliefs, their political affiliation. It should be based on the fact that God sees all of us equally and that all of us are responsible for each other, our importance with each other. And I think it's important for all of us to understand the whole idea of what our neighbor is. It's everyone. It's everyone that is around us, regardless of whether they agree with us or disagree with us, regardless of whether perhaps they are something that we don't want to be represented with. They still all are neighbors. And Jesus gives that very clear story. Because in one sense, he rebukes the religious leaders of the day in this parable by not showing and demonstrating who thy neighbor is. By not demonstrating the mercy that God wants them to show. And he picks two people of a religious faith that understand the law, understand all the ins and outs of the definitions of the words in which they follow and which, what they believe in but the practical application of what they believed in did not take place. They did not show mercy. 
They did not demonstrate the need to help, to take care of someone that obviously wasn't suffering and needed to be taken care of. So Jesus gives the example of a Samaritan, someone that totally believes differently, worships differently than the Jews of the time. And this person did what God has commanded all of us to do, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And he defines it in such a way that it is very clear that we are responsible for each other, that our importance with each other that we have, as being the creation that God has made. God has created you. God has created me for his purpose, for his will. And many times we struggle to try to find out what that person, what that purpose is and what that will is. But God shows us, I think, many times one step at a time what our purpose is and what our will is. I don't know about you, but I'd like to see it kind of all unfold before me so I can see the direction that I am going. I can see the end of the road. I can see the end of the line. I can see how far I have to go and what I have to do and what it would take for me to get there. But God does not do that. He gives us one moment in time. He tells us to take one step at a time. But yet we seem to struggle with that. We seem to want to have that purpose that is just beyond just living in the moment. But God tells us to live in the moment. To show and to demonstrate mercy to each other. To help each other out. To do those things that show that you truly do love God. And because you truly do love God, then you are going to love your neighbor, which is all of us. All of us should be loved by each other in the same way. It should not be based on some type of definition that we have conjured up in our own minds. And I believe that we do that. I know that I do it. I have a definition, I think, in my own mind, defined for myself in terms of who I'm going to help and who I'm not going to help. I think that's part of our own value systems, the things that we grow up with within our lives, the things that has affected us, the interaction that we've had with other people and how it taints us, how it corrupts us how it changes the definition of what neighbor is for us. But Jesus says, this is who the neighbor is. It is everyone. It is those people that you cannot stand to be around. It is those people in which you think that you can no longer have any fellowship with. It is those people where, as you think about them, you despise them for who they are and what they believe in because their values are contrary to your own. But Jesus said, those people are your neighbors too. 
It's not just your friends. It's not just your family members. It's not just the people that, are, that agree with you from a religious point of view, from a political point of view, from a cultural point of view. It is those people that are different than you that God says they are your neighbor. And you are to love them. You are to show and to demonstrate them, to them the mercy the mercy that God has given each of every, every one of us through His Son, Jesus Christ. The mercy of God's grace. Something else interesting about this parable is when you show and demonstrate mercy to others, it may cost you something. Are you willing to do that? It may cost you something to show and to demonstrate God's love to a perfect stranger. But to God, they are not a stranger. God knows everything about that person. So it may cost you to show and demonstrate that mercy that God wants you to have. There may not be any kind of payback. You may not receive any kind of reward. But God tells us through this parable this morning that when we show mercy, we need to be able to do those things that God wants us to do. And it may cost us something to show God's love to someone else. I was reading something the other day and it was quotes from Mother Teresa. And one of her quotes, she talks about that if you can't feed the hundred, feed the one. And I've thought about that this past week. That if you can't feed the hundred, you feed the one. Feed the one. Show that mercy to the one. And it's interesting because all of us, I think, can identify with the fact that sometimes we just feel that we have to do this humongous, wonderful project to reach thousands of people. But God said, no, that's not your responsibility. You need to focus on the one. Minister and reach the one. I will take care of the rest. And if it grows to be a hundred, if it grows to be a thousand, if it grows to be ten thousand, it is because God is taking that message to the one and using the power of his spirit to further his kingdom, to further his glory. And we need to remember that at the beginning of this scripture, the question was asked, what do I do to inherit eternal life? What do I do to inherit eternal life? And all of us, I believe, deep down inside, ask that question of ourselves. I was watching a documentary, and they were talking about the fact that most people believe in some type of afterlife after we die. And because we have that belief, I think, innate 
in us, part of our character. It's part of who we are. That we ask that question, maybe not in these right words in terms of what do I do to inherit eternal life, but we do it in such a way that we ask the question, what's going to happen to me after I die? What's going to happen to me after I die? I believe it is a valid question. It's something that mankind have always tried to answer to the beginning of mankind's history. Because we look at all the ceremonies, the graves that archaeologists find in terms of what they do in the preparation of the dead, because it reveals what they truly believe about the hereafter, the eternal life that takes place after you and I die. And I think we ask that same question as the lawyer asked. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? How can I show and demonstrate that I truly do love God? How do I show and demonstrate to God that I truly love God, that I truly love Him, that I want to have communion with Him, I want to have fellowship with Him, I want to have forgiveness of the wrongs that I have done in my life. I need to have forgiveness of my sins. God has given us His Son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill that desire that I think we all have as human beings. Because we know as we journey through life that there are times when things just don't seem to be right. And there needs to be something different in our lives. God has provided to us His Son Jesus to make that difference. To make things as right as they can be. To understand that if we accept Jesus Christ as our own individual personal Savior, that we will inherit eternal life, not because of something that we have done, but because of God's grace and the unmerited favor that He shows to each and every one of us. The outpouring of His Spirit to each and every one of us to show us the way, to give us that truth that we need to have, to provide for us the life that we best can live in the present and the life that we hope to live in the future that we accept by faith. But there are times that it can be very scary when we think about those things. And if you're like me, I suffer from some anxiety issues through a variety of circumstances that I've experienced in my life. And when I think about those things of what life might be for me after I die, there's that little panic button that I have inside. You know, like you kind of want to eject. Okay, I don't want to be thinking about this stuff anymore. I don't want to be experiencing it emotionally anymore. How do I, how do I press the eject button, God, to get me to think about something else? Because it's giving me anxiety issues. It's giving me feelings of, of loneliness and despair that I should not have. I begin to question myself. Does anybody else do that? 
question themselves about their relationship with God and whether God truly does love you just for who you are. Because we know that God knows everything. God sees everything, has an awareness of everything. And we just cry out, Lord, I am so unworthy. I don't want to think about these things anymore. I want to hit the panic button. I want to hit the eject button. I want to go somewhere else with my mind. I I just don't want to think about those things because they're so heavy on my heart. But God, I think, in those times, speaks to us in His still voice, reminds us how much that He does love us, We look to the examples that we find in the scriptures. We look to the examples that God has given us in the past as we have been journeying with God and that God has never left us. He's never forsaken us. Even when we make mistakes and we realize that a lot of the circumstances that we have in our own individual lives falls on our responsibility and that we have to own it to get our way through it. We have to be able to identify with that. We don't play the blame game about our circumstances. We accept our responsibility, our accountability before God. And then we see that God truly does love us for who we are. He accepts us for who we are in all things. He gives us the opportunities to show mercy to others that we truly define for ourselves what we believe in in a practical application in terms of who our neighbor is by helping others that we don't even know. And it is in that that we see our importance with each other and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to have that inheritance of eternal life. Because that inheritance of eternal life also touches the present, touches today, touches right now. Because it reminds us about how we should live. It reminds us that as we live with each other, as imperfect as we are, that God wants us to make the attempt to show and to demonstrate the love that he has for us to others and then those questions that we have the definitions that we're looking for within our own individual lives get answered by the presence of God as we carry out God's purpose for our lives as we interact with each other as we are able to put our own selfishness apart and follow God the way that God wants us to follow in His truth, and His Spirit, then we see and we are able to identify the importance that we have with each other and what it means to be a follower of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please take a few moments and prepare your hearts for communion as we partake together as followers of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we are so thankful that you have reminded us that 
when we blow it, when we make mistakes, when we don't show the mercy, demonstrate the care and the compassion that you want us to have. God, you just speak to us. You remind us that you want us to do those things. You remind us at times that it may cost us something, that nobody may never know about the compassion that we demonstrate to our neighbors. But it doesn't matter. We're not doing it for the reward. We're not doing it to get something in return from that person. We're doing it because that's how you want us to demonstrate what Jesus has meant to us individually in our lives. God, we'd ask that you would just forgive us. Lord, we take responsibility. We own the circumstances that we have in our lives. We have nobody to blame but ourselves. Forgive us when we have not followed your will, but our own pride and our own arrogance that have gotten us into situations that we are in now. Lord, we see the way out by just following you and showing mercy to each other. And we praise you for that. Thank you, God, for forgiving us and loving us just the way we are. In Christ's name, amen. to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together. In the same way, after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us partake together.
Our closing hymn this morning is number 137, My Jesus, I Love Thee. Hymn number 137 in the Red Hymnal. God, we are so thankful that you have reminded us the importance that we have with each other. And God, as we love you, help us to love each other. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for coming.